Welcome to the new episode of the Pixel Drone Show. This is episode seven. And this week we are joined by the infamous or famous, whichever way you want to look at it, Vic Moss. And Vic uh, Vic wears a lot of different hats in this industry. Uh, he owns his own company, Moss Photography. He's also the... Oh, I'm, I'm blanking on your title at the Drone Service Provider Alliance. You're the guy that does everything at the uh, Drone Service Provider Alliance with Kenji. Oh, I... I... Kenji and Kenji and Scott do too as well. So VP yeah. and COO is my official title, which doesn't mean anything really if you, you really get down to it. VP and COO, that's right. And uh, you're also part of the DAC. We'll talk about the DAC in this discussion and kind of a little bit more about what it means. But uh, welcome, welcome to the show and welcome to our other, two other co-hosts, Kara and Haya as well. Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me. This could be fun. It will be fun. We always have fun on this show. So uh, let's, uh, you know, let's fire it up with all the good questions at first, which is uh, let's talk about some regulation. I want to talk about because this is actually something I reported on Friday in my news update. Uh, we have a whole bunch of different states that are trying to create. Uh, the only way that we can talk about is navigation laws. And let's talk a little bit about what navigation means, uh, what the future of aviation uh, for unmanned aircraft pilots is going to look like if these rules go in place. And maybe you can give us, I know DSPA has been involved with uh, fighting some of these. Tell us a little bit more about the efforts, the rules, what 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 are we looking at here? Gosh. Um, it, it, a lot of it has to deal with easements where we can fly. You know, you, th you think of easements through through private property where we can drive. This will be easements in the air. Um, and some states are trying to create these navigation or even aviation easements. It depends on the wording they use. Um, but it's it's making sure that, like the Texas bill, um, you know, in order to fly beyond visual line of sight, you have to be flying in one of these easements. Um, so... It, it creates a few issues, obviously, um, with, the, with the drone world, uh, but uh, states don't have the power yet either. So all of these really are kind of tied to the Lee bill, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little while. So you said the states don't have the power. Uh, tell us a little bit more about this. The, the FAA obviously has control of the airspace and the states are trying to grab some of that. How, what kind of legal way do they have to do that? Uh, they're going to have to change it at the congressional level. Uh, so there'll have to be something like the B Lee bill, which is the, uh, what does he call it? Drone, Integra Drone Integration and Zoning Act, um, where it will then give political subdivisions like states, uh, tribal governments, counties, cities, whatever, uh, the ability to control the first 200 feet of the, uh, of the NAS, uh, which obviously <laughs> would just destroy this industry. Um, and it would just make it a logistical nightmare to fly. So in order for the states to do what they're doing, Texas, uh, Mississippi was trying to do something similar. We, 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 um, we killed that one, luckily. West Virginia, I think, is doing it. And there's one other state that's trying to do it as well, uh, all based on the Mercatus report. But um, if those are tied into Lee's bill, so like the Texas bill says, you know, if we're allowed, basically, you know, if the government lets us do this, the federal government lets us do this. So we don't need to worry too much about the state ones yet. Uh, but uh, it will have to be a congressional level change in regulations for it really to, to get a lot of teeth. And, and we've talked about the, the toll roads in the sky, and this is kind of what would it would give them the ability to basically charge based on where you're flying. So we could see a future where you're flying over a certain area. And not only that, but they're trying to push you to fly over certain areas, right? Over easement, over roads, maybe possibly, which we know with the new regulation is not really all that great of an idea because it's going to restrict a lot of, of flying, right? Right, right. And actually, the Texas bill would make it a criminal offense 
to fly beyond visual line of sight outside of these uh, easements. Um, so it, it, there's some changes going on with that, uh, thanks in part to DSPA, but also uh, the, the Texas Lone Star AUV, AUVSI. Um, uh, Scott and Adrian are doing a lot of work there. And uh, Representative Sirier, in, in his defense, is very open to suggestions. Uh, so, but yeah, it's, it's, if stuff like that happened, it'd be horrible. So you've been able to talk to some of the uh, people that put these bills out, or is it is it all over the place? You're, you're able to talk to some of them, but other ones don't really want to talk to you. How does that how does that look like? Right. <laughs> I was invited to uh, call with uh, some people from the Mississippi. Uh, there was a, a, a drone pilot there. I I won't use his name because I didn't get permission, but he asked me to come in and talk with some of the stakeholders there. Um, and so we kind of talked them down, so to speak, and said, you know, you, you don't want to do this. Uh, it's going to create too many issues. Uh, use your legislative dollars to work with the federal government, you know, and get your facilities added that way. Um, and then Kenji and Scott and I were uh, on Zoom calls with Representative Siri A in Texas, uh, two different ones. So um, it's been nice to be able to get in front of them. Um, my my local senator, uh, Senator Hickenlooper, uh, he calls himself Hick, so I'll just call him Hick as well, that... Um, He's on the bill. He's on the committee that the uh, Lee bill is in, and he's he's not getting back to me. So if any of the if, if any of his office staff watch this, please have them reach out to me. <laughs> I'm sure he's watching. Uh, what what do you think? What do you think the the reason is for these uh, politicians to want to do this? Is it a, a money grab? And I had to use that words, but is it a, a source of revenue that they're seeing? Is it that uh, they want their constituent to have more privacy? What what's driving all this? Do you think? Um, a lot of it is money. Uh, they see they see this as uh, you know the ability to charge uh, either air use or land use, you know launch fees, uh, landing fees. Uh, this, the 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 Serie A bill in Texas actually has uh, you can charge by the minute while you're in the easement. So yeah, they do see that uh, as that, um, and it's it's kind of a states' rights uh, issue as well, where they th they think that well I don't say it that way. They would prefer to have the ability to control certain aspects of of, um, of the way they run the airspace around them, uh, and that obviously is not going to work very well. But it's it's both it's both a rights grab and a, and a money grab. It's a good way to put it. Yeah, um, I was going to ask, is there any support in the industry for this kind of approach that you've seen? Um, yes. Uh, but it's incredibly limited uh, and incredibly one-sided and incredibly, um, I won't go there. Anyway, yes, there is some. Um, the Mercatus Institute out of George Mason, uh, which is disappointing because I did go to George Mason um, for a while. But the Mercatus, uh, the Mercatus, uh, not the Institute, what are the Mercatus, anyway, the Mercatus, the Mercatus group, um, they put out a report that is very one-sided and very opportunistic saying that they have the support of the industry, the UAS industry, uh, to make these laws, to make it easier. So the, the legislators that are using the Mercatus report to justify some of the language in their bills, they're not getting the whole story. Um, there is uh, one of the Lance providers uh, also has their hands in it, which we won't mention. Oh, we can name them. I'm not going to, <laughs> but anyway, um, so, you know, they're, they've got a lot of investor money just sitting there and it's not earning any money. So they're trying, you know, the investors are kind of starting to push them and they're trying to do things. And so these legislators get a hold of this report and say, look, the drone industry is behind what I'm doing. And they don't always get 
the other side of the story, which is the vast, vast, vast majority of the drone industry doesn't like this. And again, to, to Syria's credit, he's very willing to work with us. So that's really nice. He actually is a 107 pilot, uh, represented Syria in, uh, in Texas. Uh, he's a manned aviator with hundreds and hundreds of hours, and he got his 107. So he will listen to us. That's good. That helps. That always helps, I think. Mm-hmm. Vic, uh, quick question on this, though. I mean, I know, what was it, two years ago or three years ago, the FAA released a statement that all airspace was controlled uh, by the FAA, and the FAA is the only mm-hmm. authoritative uh, body to, to set up rules. Is the FAA doing anything proactively to get in front of those states and kind of explain the difficulties there, or is that too no. much to expect? from? Uh, no. <laughs> um, they are relying on, on, on like us, people like us four, um, really to get, get out there in front of people and talk to them about it. Um, they're not being as, as proactive as we'd like them to see. You know, they've got their, um, their area uh, council that are the councils that they can, they can, that we could work with. And, but it would be nice if they definitely were more proactive, but they're not, they're not at this point. And they've said they won't be uh, at this point. They won't unfortunately. Huh. They won't be, so they won't be proactive. Is it still only 16 states um, where, you know, the state or um, local cities can't enact their own ordinances? So Michigan's one of those states and it's still like 34. Yeah, Yeah, something ridiculous. We're working on that. that. We can talk about that more later if you want as well. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to. But uh, yeah, there's not not that many different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, it's the state preemptive issue where... Yeah, the state will. The state is the one who controls the, the drone regulations. They don't let local municipalities do it. Uh, Arizona's got a phenomenal law uh, set up that way. Um, <laughs> exactly, um, and it works really well. Um, but it's really not enforced either. Uh, but yeah, so uh, DSPA, along with a few other uh, organizations, are actually compiling right now. Um, we're working on it literally. Uh, we'll talk about it this afternoon during our meeting, uh, DSPA meeting. Um, trying to compile kind of a template that other states can use. And we've been trying for the last two years to introduce state preemptive language. Um, and two, two sessions ago was when we had all the drone, the drone issues here in Colorado, the supposed drone swarms. So we decided that's probably not a good year to introduce that. Uh, and then this last year we had COVID. So uh, this next session next year, we're going to have our lawyers going to be working on it and save me a lot of work. So it's kind of nice. I'm happy we're doing this. Whatever happened with the uh, drone swarm in Colorado? <laughs> they went away. Assuming they ever existed, um, they went away. A lot of it was planets. Some of the people I dealt with was like, no, that's a planet. Um, it was um, uh, the SpaceX uh, satellites, um, or not the SpaceX, but the uh, Skylink satellite systems, because they'd see these lines of stars going across the sky and call them drone swarms. Uh, it, it was never substantiated. And many, 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 many people tried. I have a question. I wrote an article is um, drone confiscated when he was um, photographing off of Heart Island. Um, and mm-hmm. I understood and maybe COVID um, delayed this, but aren't they reworking um, drone laws around New York City? Aren't they a little bit too heavy handed? I mean, more so than usual, I guess. Yeah. Um- from what I understand, that and then the, when the architect was killed by that falling piece of building, um, they're using, uh, they're trying to rewrite the rules so people can start using drones for just basic building inspections and then build off of that. I'm not sure where that stands right now. 
Uh, but yeah, New York City had some incredibly restrictive drone laws based on what 1924 legislation or 34 legislation, whatever, about not flying your airplanes and taking off your helicopters and stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, that 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 was part of it, and that those charges were dismissed, which is kind of nice. But um, yeah, between oh, yeah. that no, and killing I, I that architect, <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. He got his drone back. Um, he got everything back. And I know he went and bought a few more Mavic Pros while they were being held because they were held for a few months. But yeah, I just I thought the overreach was incredibly ridiculous. And so um, I just remember hearing that they were going to um, work on this legislation and to amend it. And so um, I haven't kept up with it as much as I should, but I'm excited to see what happens with that um down the road it was supposed to be done by the end of last year but again covid has put mm -hmm. a wrench in everything so yeah it really has yeah. all over the place since we're talking about regulation this is a good transition to new regulation let's talk about i know dspa has done a lot of work uh, trying to get the word out and trying to clarify the new regulation uh kara you wrote a beautiful article on all of the uh, flying over people stuff on dp review and i've seen the dspa article as well we did a video talking about flying over people trying to clarify it what's the confusion that you see the most i know i see you all over the place on forums uh answering questions what, what's the most confusing part about all of it um Actually, you know, the, the, the most confusing part is that it's not as confusing as most people seem to think it was. We were all worried about everybody going out and taking their inspires out over, you know, loads of people because they don't read the regulations. And we're not really seeing that happen, which is really nice. That means things like what all four of us are doing, plus what the FAA is doing. Um, Kevin put on a great uh, webinar, I think, yesterday, the day before, yeah. uh, getting all this stuff out. So I think it's working to a point, but we are still seeing some confusion about it. Um, from you can't fly over people at all because they don't understand, they think remote ID is, is tied into it, to the confusion with categories. It's like, okay, is you know, how do I how do I category how do I satisfy my drone as category two or category three? Um, and you don't. So uh, there's that. Um, a little bit of confusion with uh, re recurrency still. Not a lot. It's getting better. Um, people are saying, well, where do I take the night training? It's like you don't take the night training. You take the whole thing. Um, still having a little trouble with the FAAsafety.gov website. Uh, not terrible amount once they find it. Um, and then the over people waivers created a lot of confusion when I think it was last week the FAA put out all these letters to everybody who has a 10739 waiver and said, Hey, congratulations, your waiver is no longer good after December 31st of this year, even though they might have had another two or three years. Um, and the explanation was, Well, now you can fly. Under the rules, you know, under the new category, new category one, category three, category two. But they didn't say what drones are available yet. So that created a lot of confusion and still a lot of heartache. It was some people who worked so hard on getting those, you know, those pair of zeros hooked up uh, and things like that, where they got the mitigations for overfl oh, flights over people satisfied. A lot of work went into those waivers um, and people had like two or three years chopped off the end of them. They're not happy, but I think they'll be in good shape. So you'll think by then, by December, we'll see the FAA starting to approve some of these drones as category two or three? Uh, yeah, that's all I can share. Sorry. <laughs> We've had, I've had discussions. I've had discussions with some people when this came out. Uh, and they, yeah, I think the people who are upset that they're losing their waivers 
uh, soon will not be as upset. Yeah, I, I have a feeling too that that's around the corner. Uh, there's and something else came up uh, yesterday or two days ago, which is the remote ID being added into the registration side on the FA drone zone. So we've had some questions. Actually, I was taken aback on that one because I didn't see the announcement. And students started asking, "Hey, what do I put for remote ID in the registration?" And I was like, "Well, it's not in there yet." And then, sure enough, we we checked and it is. So for those of you that are listening, uh, if you go and register your drone, there's a little section in the registration that tells you uh, where you can put your remote ID information. But because there's no remote ID out there at all at the moment. Just leave it blank until you get an approved drone. Yeah, just say no. So we saw it um, actually the day it came out. Just be, just happenstance because KCC Lock, who's also uh, one of our admin in the commercial group, uh, was going to register a drone and he had the drop down menu. So he took a screenshot and sent it to the rest of the admins. And it's like, well, that's interesting. Um, but the FAA put something out. I think a couple days later. Uh, but yeah, it was really interesting. It did cause some more confusion. Um, the FAA needs to work on their communication skills. And oh. they try. I mean, you all four of us know people inside the FAA, and they're great people. As a person, as an entity, they have issues. But the government, they're government. I mean, show me a government agency that doesn't have communication issues. This is something that we need to bring up to them, is uh, how can they send the information to the people that send the information, aka us and other people in the industry that have a large list of uh, people, you know, DJI is really good at sending drones early to people so they can review them and then get the word out. Uh, the FAA should be able to do the same thing. <laughs> well, not me. I, I don't get them either. <laughs> only, only the other two. Uh, but yeah, it's. Um, I, I think it would be great for, to see the FAA. I know they have an email system, but I hardly ever get an email and I'm signed up for everything that I can think of. Even as a drone pro, you and I are drone pros. Even as a drone pro, we usually get the information after several weeks, after you and I are already know about the information. So uh, something that we need to discuss with the FAA and improve, I think. It wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, they do have the system. Um, one of the issues with, and I've, you and I both talked with a certain individual about this uh, in the FAA, and it's like they're, they're, the, to put out a communique, it has to go through so many levels of approval, uh, and that, that is just a killer. If they can, if they can cut that off um, or just have an approval somewhere in the communications department um, that I know that actually all four of us probably work with that department, um, they're frustrated, extremely frustrated by it. Um, and, and, and getting, getting that information out is critical. And I think that's where they rely on, on all four of us and others as well, uh, to make sure it's out there, but yeah, they need to do a better job and they know it. They're trying, they're just running up against that bureaucracy. Yep. You want to talk about these meetings that we had, uh, last two meetings that we had with the FA with the, the group. Let's, let's talk about this. Cause I think this is something positive coming from the FA. Mm -hmm. Oh, very much so. Um, you and I and uh, Kenji also and a few others um, were invited uh, by um, Elena. What's her last name? Huh. George. Gwen Rostro. George. Yeah. Elena George. Um, she's with the FA Integration oh. Office and they're putting out uh, they're doing a monthly meeting now, a roundtable meeting called Droning On. Um, and they're trying to get input from um, the end users and the FAA, it's about half and half as far as FAA personnel versus non-FAA, civilians, whatever. Um, you know, we've got flight test on there. We've got the FPV coalition on there. And they're trying to get input and information from the, from us on how we can do things like get, get more information out, how we can, how they can, uh, the different systems at their disposal, the dis different systems at our disposal. 
Um, and I think the most exciting part of what was last week we had it, um, or was it this week? Anyway, um, it looks like what the plan at this point mm-hmm. is, is there's going to be every month, there's going to be a new um, subject that can then be disseminated out, uh, not only with their channels, but more, more, more so with, uh, with our channels, because we have so much more following than they do. And one month it'll be commercial. The next month it'll be hobby, recreational, maybe, you know, something along those lines. And it's going to be a single subject matter that then can kind of this combined effort of different avenues of education. And that's going to help immensely when it comes to different information aspects of of the FAA and the UAS communities. Yeah, I think it's emphasizing, really emphasizing on one topic that uh, really needs to be emphasized on for that month. And it may not be just for that month. You know, it's something that we need to always emphasize on. But yeah. So hi, you had a question? Oh, good. I would say the whole the whole roundtable is based on, on, on safety culture. I mean, that's 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 its underlying um, reason for existence is to is to develop that safety culture in the UAS community and then get the word out about it. So similar to what the UAST does, uh, which will be nice. Maybe it will be integrated into the UAST. I don't know at some point. Where did that uh, initiative, uh, the roundtable, come from, uh, Vic? And how does that uh, compare to the DEC, the Drone Advisory Commission Committee? Um, committee. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah. we, I just got the invite from Elena. Um, she sent me an email back in, let's see, was this April? Back in March, early March, and asked me about it. And yeah. Kenji, and then I know, I know others as well. Um, I'm not sure where it came from, to be quite honest. It obviously came down from somewhere. Um, and it's different in the DAC in that... Um, on the round table, we're, we have the input on what to do. You know, it's a cumulative decision process. Whereas obviously on the DAC, you know, DOT and the FAA give the DAC members, okay, here's what you're working on this time. Um, and then they, they get our input from that. We don't set the, set the schedule or set the agenda on the DAC. So it's kind of nice to be able to have a, I think it's a little more influence um, at, the, at a single point of reference with the round table than the DAC. Uh, but the DAC I think is overall more influential. Yeah, I think it, they're just picking the brains of certain people. Can you can you maybe tell us a little bit uh, about how you were able to get on the drone advisory committee? Because for the longest time, <laughs> we didn't really have any representation from commercial drone pilots, let alone hobbyist drone pilots. I think uh, it was either late last year or early this year that you were able to uh, to get on the deck. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about uh, how that came about and whether we feel that we now have sufficient representation or whether there's still... Uh, still some some things to achieve on that level um i think we have sufficient representations for the commercial folks um i know we need to get a little bit more recreational um so maybe dave messina will be on be announced as well um with the fpb uh, freedom coalition uh but basically this was second time uh, both second time uh both of us kenji and i did apply uh the first go around we were both we were both not chosen. Nobody was chosen really from the from the UAS industry, at least the DSPA side of things, the drone service provider side of things, I should say, the commercial operator. Uh, AMA was on there, so they the recreational folks were semi represented. Um, you know, they're they're more the RC crowd than the than the drone crowd, but um, they were there at least. He's not there now, uh, so that is the totally like the part. But we just applied basically, um, and I went on. I think it's change.org is that website where you where you have people kind of fishing. Uh, and I just put on there and say, hey, do you support me? And I had about 1,100 signatures on there. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, um, you know, an, a, a, a 
petition to make the FAA accept somebody. It was just, hey, this is the support I have because you're supposed to be an industry leader uh, in one aspect or another, COO or, or, or CEO level person. Um, I was not chosen. I want to make sure this is clear. I was not chosen as DSPA. That was Kenji. Kenji was chosen as DSPA CEO. Um, I was just chosen as Vic Moss, drone pilot, Moss photography owner guy uh, as a citizen U.S. operator. But I think a lot of the outcry from the community as well was was a huge impetus in getting our voices on there. And um, it was successful. So it was it was a joint effort from everybody. It's just I just. It just happened to be me and Kenji that we're blessed enough to be, be chosen. Yeah, well, it's, it's good to see you guys uh, on board with the uh, the deck. I mean, it's good to have some representation for sure. I mean, it, I always found it interesting that uh, with the drone community being the, the fastest growing part of the uh, aviation industry and also the safest, that it seems that the FEA is always playing catch up in, in terms of uh, mm -hmm. following up with uh, the latest developments and, and getting ahead of that. But it's good to see you guys at least on uh, on the deck for sure. Yeah, and, and we definitely appreciate the seats. Um, and everybody else who's on there deserves to be on there. It's not just like, you know, hey, we want to take their spot because they don't deserve to be on there. You know, everybody who's on it mm. deserves to be on it because they have, you know, they have a stake in how, how well UAS are integrated, how safely UAS are integrated. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's nice to be on there. Absolutely. And you guys had two meetings so far? We've had one. Uh, we had one, and then the next one's coming up June 23rd is our second one. And they are remote still, luckily, so we don't have to dip into the DSPA it's coffers at the moment to pay for uh, travel and stuff like that um, because I don't know if everybody realizes that the other DAC members are big companies. You know, they're big organizations, AOPA, Amazon, um, Skydio, these companies that then can afford to pay the expenses for whoever goes, not to mention the fact the salary of the person while they're there. Um, whereas with Kenji and I, we're obviously not going to take a, you know, collect a salary while we're there because we only collect salaries when we're working and we don't collect salaries from DSPA, but DSPA will then pay for our expenses. Uh, so it was kind of the, one of the reasonings behind the formation of DSPA was to get the support of the community to pay for our expenses, uh, or at the very least find somebody with a comfortable couch near the venue, <laughs> put the word out that way. So, um, yeah, so that, that's, uh, uh, that's kind of one of the things that people misunderstand about the DAC is the government doesn't pay us to go, nor do they pay expenses. It is on our, it is on our pocket. Well, thanks for doing that and representing these small and medium-sized drone service providers because we do need the representation. Yep. Yep. And, and I commend the FAA for bringing us on. It was it was really, oh, the DOT technically. Let's switch gears actually, Vic, since we're talking about uh, drone service providers, you are a drone service provider with your business. And I feel like this is something that we almost never talk about. We never hear about what you do. I mean, I follow you, so I see the work that you do, but tell us a little bit more what it looks like the, the day in the life of Vic uh, at Vic Moss Photography. <laughs> Vic Moss, Vic Moss Photography, the day in the life of. Um, well, I'm, I'm a photographer first and foremost, have been actually, I'm one of those rare birds that uh, got an art degree uh, and I'm actually using it. Uh, I got my art degree in 1988, and I opened a Moss Photography at that time. So I've been doing that ever since. And uh, specialized in architectural photography for the uh, architecture, engineering, and construction industries. And so when drones first came out, gosh, that was 2014, I think I bought my first drone. Um, to me, it was just, you know, that's the world's tallest, most versatile tripod, I like to say. Uh, and it was just the, the natural extension of what I wanted to offer my clients. And so I started doing that, you know, I had the old Phantom 2 with the, with the GoPros, 
on it. Uh, I actually had modified GoPros. I'd taken the wide angle lens out and put longer lenses in two of them. So I have these, uh, actually they're sitting back over here, these two uh, GoPros sitting up there, you know, these $750 GoPros that are worth about $59 each now. <laughs> so, but, um, and from there, it just, you know, just kind of snowballed. I get, I got more into video um, and just, I love what I do. Uh, you know, I tell everybody I haven't worked in 34 years. Uh, because I've been doing this for so long, and uh, it's just a blast to do what I do. Uh, I'm a frustrated architect. I was going to study architect. decided I didn't have the patience. So I just get to take advantage of all the architects I work with and all the general contractors I work with and go, go shoot their beautiful buildings. When did you find the passion, I don't know if it's a passion, we couldn't call it, but for, uh, for helping the community and, and getting involved with DSPA and with the regulation and all of that, what, what sparked that, if anything? It definitely, it, it definitely started at a certain point. Uh, again, and it was either 2014, possibly 15. Uh, here in Colorado, they were, you know, a lot, like a lot of states, they were getting ready to, to try and start doing some drone bills. You know, we have these drones coming on. Oh, no, how are we going to control them? And there's an organization here in, in Colorado called the Colorado Aerial Media Pros. And uh, I went to one of their meetings. They were a meetup group. Still are, actually, uh, a meetup group. And I uh, went to one of their meetings. And I said, hey, who's working, uh, who's working with the Colorado legislature? Uh, on these drones, drone rolls that are, they're trying to work with, and nobody raised their hands. So I left that meeting as the <laughs> legislative liaison for Colorado Aerial Media Pros and uh, kind of found I ha it's fun. Uh, I like it. I like dealing with the uh, started out, obviously, first with the state legislatures, uh, legislators uh, had a couple bills. One we got, well, actually, we're, I think last count is we're seven for seven here in Colorado. Uh, four we didn't like uh, were killed, and three we did including one I helped write, which I'm kind of proud of, um, were, were not killed. They were, they, were, um, they were approved. So from there, it was working a little bit on the national scale with some people, starting you know, just a little bit here and there because I guess my name got out, um, working with some of the smaller cities around the country, Florida, um, California, Washington, Montana, of all places, and obviously here in Colorado, and then some of the state level, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And it's fun. I enjoy it. It's it's very intellectually challenging at times, uh, and um, I'm not a I'm not a big government guy, uh, and I don't like big government. And so it's kind of it's kind of frustrating to me uh, at times. I would make a terrible federal employee, uh, but it's fun to deal with. And, and EFA folks I deal with obviously are fun, and some of the legislative people, with the exception of of Senator Hickenlooper, are very interested in hearing from us uh, about this kind of thing. So. <laughs> It, it started out innocently enough. It's like, hey, what's, what's going on in Colorado? And then from there, it just kind of blew up. Um, if you had asked me five years ago, I would have laughed at you. I said, no, 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 no. I just want to fly drones, take pictures. And I still do. You know, that's how I make my money. I don't make my money any other way. You know, I pay the mortgage with my photography company. Um, but uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's been interesting. It's an interesting dynamic now to see where I'm at in the industry. Not something I ever expected or even wanted, but hey, I'm here, I'm having fun. Oh, and you're representing well, so thank you for doing that. How much of, uh, of your time uh, is DSPA taking these days? Has, has it shifted your business a little bit? Uh, do you have to work differently? Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely, uh, luckily right now for me, with it's, it's this time of year is, is kind of slow because of what I do. Uh, it's picking up, um, but 
Definitely is spending a lot more time doing that with with a, a specific goal in mind rather than just reaching out and helping people. You know, getting getting the power behind DSPA has helped quite a bit. But uh, yeah, we have monthly meetings, uh, me and Kenji and and, uh, and um, Amy and now Scott. We brought in Scott, and like I mentioned, and uh, it's a lot more of that is being done. I'm not quite as much in the forums as I used to be. I know it's hard to tell, <laughs> but um, so there's that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's affected my business a little bit, but. Luckily, my clients are understanding, and, and we can schedule around most stuff. For for the people that are listening to this uh, show, Vic, I mean, if if they want to help in any way and help to uh, advocate for the the drone community, the drone industry, uh, what are some of the best ways that people can make themselves more useful, other than let's say just joining uh, the DSPA, of course? But uh, can you talk a little <laughs> bit towards uh, that? Absolutely. Um, pay attention at the local level. Uh, once a month, uh, I'll go on. My, I live in Lakewood, which is a suburb of Denver. Uh, I go on the uh, Lakewood City Council at least once a month and uh, their their website and find out what the agenda is that month. Uh, I'm actually and then also if there's something that comes up, be proactive about it uh, here uh, in Jefferson County, which is the county I'm in. They have what's called Jefferson County open spaces and their rules say you can't fly over Jefferson County open space. And we all four of us know that that's that's not enforceable. At least it's forcible. They can cite you for it, but then they'll lose. Um, so I've reached out to their one of their lawyers twice, and he keeps blowing me off. And his, his, his phrase is, well, that's not how we interpret it. So next month, I'll be at their board meeting, uh, probably remotely still, uh, possibly in person. But uh, next month, I'll be on the agenda and say, hey, this needs to be addressed. We can address it at your level. Um, or last summer, I was actually going to go out and get cited. I was going to let them know where I was flying and fight it that way. But... Um, uh, prefer not to, you know, let's, let's, let's work cooperatively rather than, um, you know, fight stuff, fight each other. And so, yeah, do that. And you keep, keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on your state people as well. Um, you should have, basically I've got Colorado state legislature bookmarked. Everybody should have their state legislature bookmarked county city, uh, parks departments as well. Uh, and just keep an eye on things. And if, if you need to reach out to us, reach out to other people, uh, make sure you're part of the local drone club because if something does pop up, then you know you've got you can have 10, 15 people show up at a city council council meeting. And when you show up with that many numbers, it's it's pretty impressive. Um, we've done it here in Lakewood, North Glen, and Breckenridge, and a few different places. And it's impressive when you've got a bunch of people that show up that it affects either commercially or recreationally when they're trying to do rules like that. So yeah, be be really involved locally, be involved at the state level, and when situations arise like the Lee bill then reach out to to people like us uh, all four of us and say how can we help because uh, all you know all of us would be able to have bills or have um, uh, articles and or videos out on that so state to stay involved that's how you can really make a big difference is the uh, dspa at this point big enough already that you guys have pretty much members in all the states in the united, in the united states that you kind of have a finger on the pulse if you will or we, we don't have members everywhere yet we're always growing um, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a slow process when you're starting a nonprofit, you know, it's like everybody who wants to join, yeah. like what's in it for me, which we understand 100%, trust me, uh, we understand that. Um, so it's, it's more of an advocacy situation here, but we don't have it yet, but we have a lot of input. Uh, Texas has been huge, um, as far as helping out down there. And, uh, the people like the gentleman from Mississippi who reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, what can we do and how can you help? So we don't have it yet, but we're welcome. Welcome. Just because you don't have somebody in our state and you're not a member, that doesn't mean we don't want you to reach out to us. 
Yeah, I think I think for us that's also a big reason uh, of, of wanting you to be on this show to help basically promote the DSPA and make sure that we mm-hmm. get more members and that we have more fingers on the pulse in, in terms of what's going on in, uh, in local uh, state legislation. Uh, because you see, you see them popping up everywhere, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, no, oh, yeah. I think uh, I think it's a great cause, and um, I think among the hobbyist drone pilots as well as the smaller commercial drone pilots, uh, there hasn't been much of an organization that that kind of gives oh. us a voice. So to see an initiative like the DSPA, I think is a great initiative, and um, I, th- I think all three of us uh, will be glad to do whatever we can to help support that cause. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. And, and yeah, we, we are technically representing the drone service provider. So the, the small and medium sized commercial operator, yeah. um, you know, like, like Kara said, but it, there's a lot of, lot of, of fall over uh, or, or, or bleed over into the recreational side. One, because almost all of us are recreational people. I don't fly these little guys over here commercially. <laughs> They're fun. I fly them recreationally. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I fly under the recreational rules, exception rules. Uh, as do most, um, and then also some of the recreational stuff can bleed over into the commercial side. So yeah, we, we deal with the commercial side of things, but there's plenty of bleed over in both. And Kenji and I are both getting more into FPV as well. Kenji especially, um, he's using it commercially as well. I'm just still crashing things, but um, he's uh, you know so it, it all bleeds over uh, definitely. So you have other members now on board with DSPA. It's not just you and Kenji anymore. Can you tell us about their role, their background, and maybe what they bring into the table and how they're going to help? Sure. Well, obviously, with Scott Scottman, um, you know, he brings a ton uh, with us. We have uh, Amy Wagon from uh, Drone Up, who's who's doing our social media stuff, which is incredibly helpful. Really appreciate Amy's work with that. Um, she's on the advisory. She's not, well, none of us are employees, but she's on the advisory. Uh, Sharon Rossman is also on advisory, Women in Drones. So we're getting input from her. Um, and then also uh, Dave Messina from the FPV Freedom Coalition. So that, that's basically the core right now. And we're obviously going to grow that out. Um, we're looking for you know, one other person we're talking to, uh, somebody we all know, who may or may not have been on your, your show last week. Um, and we're looking forward to, to try and get more and more people because we want to represent as many verticals as we can because the commercial side of things could be, you know, the real estate folks and then all the way up to TND and, uh, you know, the media people and the movie people and people like myself who just take pretty pictures and pretty videos and give them to clients. So there's this huge spectra, spectrum of possible verticals that, that affect us. And we're trying to get as many people as we can from each vertical to to help us uh, get their input when there's something we need input from. Vic, you posted something recently. Um, I always go to the commercial SUAS remote pilots um, Facebook forum. Um, that you. You're an admin, on, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's how I keep up with what's going on, like what new rules and regulations. And then there's another one. Is it UAV legal news and discussion now? I know the name changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we changed yeah. the name from so, yeah law, law. I think yeah, something along those lines. It's a law news. Yeah, and discussion. yeah, law right. news and discussion. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, those are the two I like to check, um, just to keep on top of what is going on. And I saw you post mm-hmm. something recently um, about flight paths in national airspace. Um, I'm not. I'm sorry, national airspace. I'm sorry, national parks. Um, flying mm-hmm. dro- flying drones 
Now, you take off outside the border of a national park, obviously, but there was something about minimum AGL um, still a little bit confusing no. to me, but I thought you could explain that because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm genuinely <laughs> curious. And I think a lot of our listeners sure. would be genuinely curious um, about this. Yeah. Yeah, no, that and, and it's a, uh, as, and Greg may know, is it a notum that says, uh, I know it's advised minimum altitude, which I think is 2,000 feet for manned aviation over noise-sensitive areas, which include national parks, national wildlife reserves, uh, preserves, things like that. Um, it's, it's, it's a suggested minimum, so technically we don't have to comply with that as drone operators. Um, I like to use the term yeah. fly-friendly, uh, and so, yeah, you don't want to, buzz people and buzz wildlife and things like that and obviously during nesting season you don't want to but yeah you can take off outside uh, of um, national park boundaries and it's even in the national park uh, faq page and as long as you can maintain fa regulations you can fly over national park national monument uh, things like that you can fly over their airspace uh, but again it's it's you've got to fly friendly and you've got to fly safe if it's eagle nesting season don't do it um, there are some areas, uh, Grand Canyon has some very specific aviation rules, but obviously you're not going to be flying over the Grand Canyon from outside their parks, uh, park boundaries, because that's way too far inside the park. Uh, but Cedar Breaks, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park here in, in Colorado. Yeah, and the disturbing part of the wildlife is important because you can still, it's not an FAA regulation, but you can still get caught. You know, what I tell my students all the time is I said, men aircraft pilots have to stay, not don't have to stay, are uh, asked to stay 2,000 feet AGL for a good reason. And uh, and it's kind of an unwritten rule in, in the man aircraft world that you just do it. It's You you read it as a regulation and you just follow it. So uh, I, like you said, fly reasonably and don't, uh, don't give the rest of us a bad reputation. So it's um, exactly, exactly. Exactly. Um, every time we put the drone in the air, we're wearing our ambassador hats for the industry. Uh, and it's important that we behave. You're going to see, that, you know, stupid people have money so they can buy drones. Uh, and, and we need to combat that when we're in the air and, and just be friendly. And if somebody asks you what's going on, you know, you just say, hey, let me land. I'd love to show you what we've done or walk up to them and say, this is what I'm seeing right now. So there's always ways to diffuse it. Uh, but as long as you're flying friendly, you can be a great ambassador for the industry. I have another question. Um, so this has to do with zero grid um, at a land facility. Um, basically, if you have a night request um, approval, um, there's something though about uh, May, you can't um, do anything until May 17th now um, under the new remote ID rules. Like what's that about? I, I'm, cause even when I was writing That's a this, I, what's that? That's a mistake. Uh, Mike Guerin posted in the groups today about that. Um, he was told okay. that he couldn't do anything at night ops. Yeah, no night ops. Uh, Kevin jumped in on there, thank goodness. I, I tagged him in at Kevin Morris, uh, a great oh, asset for the community. Um, and basically, in this yeah, get, this gets back to the, to the lack of, of communication inside the FAA. Uh, I ran into it uh, here locally, uh, which I'll explain in a bit. But basically, Mike was told that he couldn't, even though, even though he ha has his night waiver he can't apply until after the 17th after he's taken the recurrent training or initial not initial test in mike's case but the recurrent training and it's like that is so wrong but that's somebody who does the lance requests that he was that's what that's what who told mike and so that that communication breakdown is there uh with the with the um the contractors that work that 
personally, I had that issue the day after. So on the 7th, uh, I reached out to my contact here at Denver International Airport and Centennial Airport uh, here in Denver. And I said, hey, you may be getting this. Let me know if you have any questions. Um, and both of them had not a clue uh, what was going on. And my DIA contact sent it up to his contact at the, at the, uh, at the uh, Western, Western region uh, uh, for the, for the well, authorizations. And he came back and said, no, Vic's wrong. Uh, that's not how it's working uh, and stuff like that because he hadn't heard otherwise. And so I reached out to him and said, no, this, these are the new rules. I gave him the links and he goes, Hey, I appreciate that. Cause we're not hearing anything here. So ATO is, is, is getting through uh, ATC is having trouble getting the information out. Uh, but it is happening. And the, the, the uh, May 17th thing is just totally wrong uh, with that. As long as you have, was it seven, seven, 11 dash one, uh, the the uh, I can't remember the exact uh, the exact way um, uh, yeah that's right that's right that that allows you to fly at night after you've taken your you know your training or your initial and you attach that to your lance request and uh, I believe you attach that to the COAs too this is actually what I got wrong yesterday in the forums um, somebody asked the question I said no you can only go through the drone zone right now and then somebody jumped on and said no that's not exactly how it works. So I am totally open to being corrected when I'm wrong. So unlike some, uh, I don't so mind. I don't like being wrong, but I don't mind being corrected. So you're saying, so you're saying that if you have a wide area authorization, you can actually attach the the way the seventy seven eleven one and be able to fly at night whenever you want. That is no, no. You can't attach it to an existing COA, one oh seven four one. Like I've got. 43 separate COAs right now uh, that my 2.9 is attached to. And uh, those all, obviously, the night night and, and twilight aspects of that all, all are over on the 17th. The, the COAs don't expire, but the night options do. Yep. Okay. Um, and, and I don't think that there is a process yet, and if I'm wrong, correct me, about getting a long-term COA. Uh, I know with Lance, you have to do it, you know, it's the day of to fly that night which creates issues with a zero grid because they need 24 hour notice. That's when you need to go through the, uh, the, the 10741 authorization drone zone request. Uh, and honestly, I'm not up to that yet because I haven't had to deal with it. Uh, I'm not sure if you can do a multiple day on that or if you also, all your, uh, your COAS uh, requests also have to be single day. So if you all know that know anything different, please, please let us know. No, I think we're on the same page. That's that's what I heard as well. I wanted to make sure. Okay, I reread that email today, and I think that's what that means. Um, that they, that they sent out whatever it was a week ago, two weeks ago. It's confusing. That's where the confusing oh, part yeah. is. So it is, and that's temporary. That's temporary. This it'll change in. I forgot that uh, like sometime in November, October, December, whatever it changes again to the more permanent system because this is a temporary system right now. Yep, late late this year, late fall. I think September actually. I think might be the deadline. Hopefully, they, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so this is a temporary situation, <laughs> and once we get used to that, it'll change again. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> then we'll have to teach everybody else again. Right, but we have we have a method now. So the FA is saying, hey, we're working on a, a permanent solution. In the meantime, here's a temporary. Have fun, fly safe, blah blah blah. Yep. Um, Last couple of guests, we had discussions about remote ID 
And, um, and every guest had a slightly different approach. Uh, we talked to Loretta and she had the uh, more of a lawyer approach and uh, the general, and I think you, you've listened to the interview. And then we have Romeo that had his approach talking about uh, public safety and how remote ID is gonna help on public safety. What's your take without obviously going into a whole lot of details about uh, how remote ID may help or may not help? And what do you think is gonna happen with this whole process? Um, I am a remote ID proponent. Um, there are certainly issues. Uh, uh, Kenji's article that we wrote about this was a great title. Say so it's a good start. Uh, I think that the remote ID itself is necessary. Um, is it necessary as overreaching as it is? Probably not. Can we change it? I don't know. Um, at least not before it goes into implementation, but it's a great step for expanded operations. It's going to be a necessity for BV loss operations. Uh, for long-range operations, especially delivery operations, that kind of stuff. Uh, it is a necessity for commercial ops, and, 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 and it's requirement for the anything over 250 for recreational, 250 grams, but I think that's a little bit of an overreach. Uh, I'd like to see, like, let's say controlled airspace only. You know, you need remote ID to fly, you know, recreationally in controlled airspace, something like that. But to have it all over all of all of Gulf airspace, I think, is an overreach. But that's what we have to deal with right now. That's that's how the rule is written. Uh, and uh, come September 16th, 2023, we have to deal with it. Uh, can it change before then? Absolutely. You know, we've got two and a half years to do it-ish. Um, so we can change it. But I am a proponent of remote ID. Uh, I was a not a proponent of remote ID when the NPRM came out. Uh, I don't know if you saw our um, video we put out in a future in a, in a, in a past life I was part of that. Um, but now that the way it's written, uh, I like the vast majority of it. I would love to see the DOT and the FA and the Department of Homeland Security. That's where a lot of this, a lot of the onerous aspects of it came from the DHS uh, and, and FBI and the other, you know, the other federal security agencies. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to see them have a little more of a realistic look at what we actually do with drones. Um, we don't, you know, we didn't need a, a snapshot of every drone in the sky at any time uh, for DHS or for the FBI or for a uh, secret service. Um, so that aspect of it, the networked aspect of it is really nice, but we just, you know, we've got, you know, here in the, here in Colorado, we've got Eastern Plains that are, you go, you can go miles without seeing somebody. And, uh, you know, you don't need remote ID to fly out there. I'm sorry. It, it's, it's silly. Uh, but it's a good first step. Uh, I like the fact that it's been implemented. And I like the fact that we will hopefully have the ability to change it in process. So we'll see, how, we'll see where it goes. There's a lot of opposition to it, especially from the FPV crowd and some of the recreational crowd. Um, I would like to see things like uh, know to fly and fly for, uh, for the FPV races. They, they shouldn't have to go through this major process to have a, you know, every drone has to have remote ID. It's like, no, I mean, that's silly. You know, seconds and seconds and grams count in the FPV world. And uh, making um, making them all required to have remote ID is silly. I think the FAA understands that. And having those notify and fly, notify and fly situations, which is one of the things Kenji's working on uh, with one of his task groups for the DAC, is gonna be, is gonna be really helpful for that. Um, We've got three parks here in Lakewood that we're allowed to fly drones at, but you know they're not going to be free as unless something like the American League of Cities uh, decides that they want to be a CBO and can apply for free as, which is going to be great. I'd love to talk to the uh, ALC about that. Um, and 
it's a good first step. I guess I keep saying that, but it's really true. It's going to be a necessity in the commercial world. Um, and I'm going to use it personally when I'm flying in an area that I know might be slightly congested. Uh, I'm going to make sure I've got a receiver working. Uh, so I need to know. So I know who's in the area uh, for me. And I can stay out of their way and hopefully they're monitoring me and they can stay out of my way. Um, but we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. I like it on the surface. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I like it. And then there are some changes that could make it a lot better. I, I think you and I are very much, when I, when I hear you talk about Remote ID, you and I are very much on the same exact page about the way that it works. I remember watching the NPRM and I'd be like, whoever wrote this has never been out West. They're stuck in DC in an office and they're not thinking about flying a drone because we have the same landscape, you know, with uh, tons of mountains and open space everywhere around here. And yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So, um, do any of the other hosts have questions? Because I have my final question. I always ask our, our guests, but I want to keep it for the very end. So uh, if you guys have other questions, fill them in now. With with remote ID, it seems to me that it would make a lot of sense if, if the FEA would define either different categories of drones or different use cases of drones, right? Where you distinguish between different commercial operations or hobbyist flying drones or FPV. And I think in the original uh, NPRM, it seemed like we were all thrown into one big pile. And that's where a lot of of the um, discontent or uh, unhappy people come from is like yeah those mm -hmm. rules don't really apply to my situation or don't apply to another situation i think if the faa would be able to distinguish between different use cases or different types mm -hmm. of drones and the way that they're flown um, i think you could make remote id a lot more realistic and my concern in that regard is that um, if the rules are overreaching i fear that a lot of people simply are not going to comply with those rules and then you're not really achieving anything either. What do you think about that? Right. Oh, I think compliance has to be. Um, you know, you've got to have the compliance numbers, or it's it's pointless uh, to yeah. to have a rule and you've got fifty percent compliant the compliance. I mean, you got fifty percent non-compliance, and you have no idea where half the drones are in the world or in the you know flying in the airspace. So they know you know the compliance has to be uh, you know at a reasonable level. Is is it going to be one hundred percent? Absolutely not. Um, it, we're, we're foolish if we think that, and I don't think anybody in the government really thinks that either. But um, they need to make it simple, and they need to make it. I, I like the idea of a very mission specific. Uh, you're doing this, you need remote ID. You're doing this, you really don't. Um, yeah. So you know, line of sight. Do you really need line of sight, um, or do you really need remote ID for like what I do? I'm only going to fly three, four hundred feet away, you know, and I'm 150, 200 feet in the air flying a construction site. I don't need remote ID. Um, will I use it? Absolutely, 100%. I will have remote ID compliant drones, obviously. But uh, certain situations, you really just don't need it. And uh, if, if, if it can be tweaked in a way that it is mission specific, I think that would, that would go a long way for compliance. I think you're absolutely right there. Yeah, so mine was more of a basic question. Um, again, I saw this the other day through you. Um, John McBride, I think, was our our first guest on this show. Yes. And um, I didn't realize there was an RMUS app. Um, it's like a pilot pre-check. <laughs> yeah. Do you have yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I do have it. Um, uh, it was free when I got it. I don't know. They're just charging oh, okay. now. But um, the oh, funny okay. thing is, I just ran across it. I was looking up. I was just on, on uh, Apple page and just looking, you know, what have we got for missions? Um, and this came up, it's like, oh, I didn't know John had this. And so I posted it in the forums and John got reached out to me. He goes, we haven't had any downloads of that in, in a year. And all of a sudden we have all these downloads today. So thank you <laughs> for that. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I haven't used it much. I'm, 
I'm kind of a creature of habit. So when I have to, to get a new habit, I'm terrible at it. Uh, so it's something that I really like in that um, you can do individual um, missions and you store them. And you can do things like take pictures of your landing zone. So if there's an issue with that, uh, I like it. Uh, I like it a lot. And I wish John would push it out. They just they just quit dealing with it because it was more for their enterprise clients. And they decided okay. that they just didn't want to more so yeah but now i think i think more and more people are downloading and now more people will download it <laughs> yeah uh, which, is yeah, cool, which yeah. is cool it's a good app i like it well i wanted to give that a shout out but you are mm -hmm. a person uh, i can just tell we haven't met in real life just yet but i just not yet from everything i've seen and not yet but um just our interactions and stuff you are a person who is prepared so um what apps what are your go-to apps before you go out for a flight like what do you use what are your favorites that you can wow. share with our audience well, the first one um, is not an app. It's actually a website. is is the uh, FAA's ArcGIS site, uh, the FAA, whatever it is. It's the you know it's the ArcGIS.fa.gov or whatever with you know a seventeen alphanumeric number behind it that visualizes it. Is what a lot of people call it. If I'm unsure, even just the slightest bit um, hesitant about the airspace I'm flying in, I go there because it's the ultimate authority. You know, it, it literally goes down to a foot of whether or not you're inside airspace or not you need to worry about. Uh, so I use that. Um, obviously, the DJI apps uh, I use quite a bit. Um, and I also use um, Flight Radar 24 when I'm flying in controlled airspace because I like to keep an eye on things. We're flying uh, a project every month in, in Centennial air, Airspace that is in the pattern. And um, it's, uh, you know, I know I'm, I'm at 150 feet. That is my, that's my allowed AGL. Uh, and I know everybody else is, is, higher than that but uh, when my v when we're flying my vo and i we hear an airplane we turn around and i check you know i check flight radar at 24 um and then i also use weather apps uh i have a um what's it called i will look real quick Ooh, i've got i've got a text from somebody called my radar pro uh and it's it's an it's a real-time radar uh weather radar rain especially and it is since it's radar it's accurate um, you know, it's accurate to the minute. I know I need to get down at a certain time before the rain falls. Um, what else do I use? Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Those I also have, oh, I have NOAA. I have uh, weather.gov. It is a, it is a, gov a government website. Uh, it's, it's like the best government website there is out there, but weather.gov as opposed to weather.com. Um, and they also have an hourly forecast, which two days out is incredibly accurate. Even, even here in Colorado, um, which, you know, living right at the bottom of the mountains is, 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 a, is a weather forecasting nightmare. Um, it's, they're really good at it. So it, that's, those are the really, those are the ones I use the most. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I actually do have RMUS on my homepage. I'm checking right now. It's right there. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much it. I don't use a lot of apps because I do a lot of pre-work, uh, in my office before I, before I fly. All right. That's good to know. I use Kitty Hawk for land authorizations. That's my go-to. And then um, yeah, for, for any lands I, I need, I usually do uh, either Kitty Hawk or SkyGrid. I'm starting to use just a little bit. They're iPad only. Uh, I really like their their interface though. And then um, uh, UA Sidekick is another really good one I use every once in a while. But I have so many Koas that <laughs> I rarely <laughs> ever use. Actually, every time I need to use Lance, I got to go, okay, how do I do this again? And it's like, wait a minute, what buttons do I push? So, um, yeah, I hardly ever use Lance, but when I do, it's one of those three. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Sure.
All right, I'm ready for my last question. We're closing on the, over an hour again. It's not a it's not a picky question. Favorite drone to fly? What drones do I fly? No, favorite, favorite one. Oh, favorite, sorry. Um, Mavic 2 Pro. Uh, it's if it's in the if I'm getting paid to be in the air, it's a Mavic 2 Pro. I love the Hasselblad sensor. I love the color space, the color science, uh, and I process every single uh, raw that I shoot with the Hasselblad Pro at 125%. Um, so it's really close to the same size as my Nikon images that I use. Uh, it, it's just I love it to death. Um, I'm hoping that they'll come up with the Mavic 3 here fairly soon. Maybe, maybe, maybe a, uh, a, media, a, multi, uh, a micro four-thirds processor, maybe an optical zoom. Do not want digital zoom. It's absolutely useless in the commercial world uh, for still photography. Um, I've got my Inspire still, the good old Inspire 1 version 2 with the X5. Uh, don't see, I think I've used it once in the last year. Uh, if I need to do something with mechanical shutter, I've got a P4P and a P4A. Uh, and actually, one of those and my Inspire will be hitting the market pretty soon because they're just sitting here uh, getting into the FPV stuff. So looking forward to getting better at that and start incorporating that as well. That Mavic 2 Pro, if I'm, if I'm in the air, that's my, that's my baby. Love that little bird. Yeah, it's a good drone. So someone um, actually affixed a GoPro onto a DJI FPV drone, and it was a custom. Yeah, so on top of it is a custom rig that Rotor Riot, I, I've learned um, through people just messaging me in my own research, Rotor Riot is uh, custom made it for them. But I think it would be awesome also if they put it for sale. I think a lot of people would like yeah. that. Um, type of camera on because i like the dji fpv drone just for the range the fact mm -hmm. that in two modes it has gps you know it has you know for beginners like me, in FPV. Can't fly. yeah and me me as well it's it's an ideal thing so um mm -hmm. i think that's mm -hmm. kind of an exciting development too because you know they have yeah. the half inch sensor that camera but um, I think for filmmakers, especially someone who wants a more sophisticated camera and seeing that GoPro affixed, thanks to that, um, that special piece that Rotor Riot mm -hmm. made, um, I think that's really exciting. So it is, it's neat. You get all the benefits of the, of the, of the, uh, the DJI FPV drone, which I will not buy. Um, I'm waiting <laughs> for the next generation. I want a better camera on it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, Kenji printed his own. Rotor Riot does one. Ken Dono has one uh, that he's developed as well that they said he 3D prints. So, yeah, they're, they're out there and you can take advantage of the of the quality of the GoPro um, and then the, you know, the the flyability of the DJI FPV. It's a good combination, but I'd like to see a better camera in, in DJI FPV 2 or whatever they call it. You know, I'd like to see a better camera on that. Then I'll buy one. They'll they'll change the name completely for the number two, knowing DJI. Exactly, it'll just be FPV. Me too. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, then they'll send it to all of us, and we can fly it, right? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure two two people in this group will get it early. Oh yeah, I know which two as well. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, if uh, I think this is it for today, Vic, thank you so much for joining us. Lots of insightful conversation as always. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on any show, Pixel Drone Show, uh, Pilot Institute or whatever it is. And um, we will see you around. For those of you that do not know about DSPA, make sure you head out to dspalliance.org and then make either a donation or do the, the monthly 
uh, thing. It helps everyone. It really does. And uh, and then we'll uh, put some more links down there. But for this, uh, for now, this is it. And thanks for joining.